Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us is our old friend Greg Palast. Greg Palast, P-A-L-A-S-T dot com is his website. His Twitter handle, just like mine, is Tom underscore Hartman. His is Greg underscore Palast, P-A-L-A-S-T. Glad to be with you, Tom. And I think that you've got a site, too, Greg, to find out if you've been knocked off the voting rolls. In fact, Leonardo DiCaprio was tweeting a video of you over the weekend. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, uh, we have a one-minute video voiced by Vet Nicole Brown. Uh, yes, and it was the initial hosting was by your friend, uh, Mr. DiCaprio. About four and a half million people so far have seen this one-minute film. Please do, because it's about the mass purge of voters in America, which, by the way, can be you. The targets are especially voters of color, and if you've got a last name like Kim or Rodriguez or Jackson, please go to SaveMyVote2020.org, where you can see if you've been purged. Now, again, I want to warn people, don't misread it. This is a list of people who've been removed in the past few years, mostly by GOP secretaries of state, but not all. And see if you've been removed. If so, there's a link to re-register. This is the moment to do it. Don't assume that you are registered, even if you've been voting in the same place 30 years. I checked, literally... Greg Palace was purged in California, and I just re-registered online. I saved my vote, and I got it. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, you know, so, so there's no one's safe, so I, I don't care what color or age or name you have, but there's no question from the list that the Palace investigative team has put together. We sued a lot of states to get these purge lists, including, obviously, we sued Brian Kemp and successfully got these lists in Georgia, where I'm very concerned because it is a swing state in which there's been a vicious attack on voters of color, as we know. Also, two Senate seats open, which could flip the Senate. You know, I'm not telling you to vote for, but my God, this Senate should and the presidency shouldn't be decided because some guy doesn't like everyone named Jesse Jackson. So today, I can't emphasize enough, please check your registration. Don't assume you, your registration is good. Re-register immediately online. Each state has different rules. That's what the one-minute piece we had, which is up at, uh, obviously, you could see that at Mr. DiCaprio's Instagram site, but also gregpalace.com. Get that film around and get people to register today. And I retweeted it a while ago. You can find it on my Twitter timeline. You know, you and I have known each other for a long time, and and we've been talking about this stuff since Bush v. Gore and, you know, Bush v. Kerry. I mean, you know, the two elections that were, you know, the first we know was stolen. The second one, we're pretty sure, I I am pretty sure it was stolen. And I'm pretty sure that I told you, in fact, I probably told it to you, you know, sitting around with a glass of wine at your house or mine more often than I remember, you know, of going to Washington, D.C. with a bunch of talk show hosts, Mayor America, and talking to a group of Democratic senators and congressmen and saying, we really need to talk about voter suppression and the, the security of these electronic voting machines. Probably the most powerful Democratic senator who is not the Senate Majority Leader stand up and say, no, we don't want to talk about that. It's our party's policy not to discuss these issues because we're afraid that it'll cause people not to have faith that their vote will be counted, which will cause them not to bother to show up and vote. 
we were all arguing, no, it's the other way around. You need to, you know, we need to turn this into a war. I mean, look at what the Republicans would be doing if it was going in the other direction. But that's been the official position, not just of the Democratic Party, but of the media. I mean, you know, up until this last two years, really, the whole idea of voter suppression or rigged elections or insecure voting machines has been something that is all over progressive media, but it's not even appearing in, quote, mainstream media. Now it is. How do you see, you know, regardless of the outcome of this election, I think the vast majority of Democrats now realize that the only way Republicans can win is by cheating. And if they win, this is going to obviously be perceived as cheating. But how do you think that that's going to change election law going forward? We saw H.R. 1. I mean, there's a brilliant piece of legislation that Nancy Pelosi got out of the House. It's what we were begging for in 2005 in that meeting in D.C., and we got blown off. It seems to me like some really good stuff might come down the road if our republic survives this experience. What do you think? I'm, you're much more of an optimist than I am, Tom. Look, the omerta about vote suppression, racial vote suppression in 2016, the Democratic Party decided, let's just be quiet about it because we don't want to discourage people from voting. So ask right. President Hillary Clinton how that worked out, the silence, exactly. the omerta of the Democratic Party. And uh, the mainstream media, too, they, you know, it was like electric. You and I have been screaming about this, but, you know, I'm an investigator. I'm down in these states. I'm seeing hundreds of thousands of people, black people and Hispanics, Asian Americans, young people, thrown off the voter rolls in Georgia. I'm at the polling station where they're saying, I've been removed, I've been removed, I've been removed. People in tears, people angry. Uh, and my uh, radio host, Raheem Shabazz, in Atlanta, they, you know, they give him a provisional ballot because he's not on the voter roll, so he knows he's going to lose his vote, but they give him a little peach, you know, a sticker that says, I voted Georgia peach. And that's his provisional ballot is to a real ballot like the plastic peach is to a real peach. We've right. been talking about this. And finally, Stacey Abrams broke the omerta of the Democratic Party and said, this is a serious issue, especially for voters of color. And when she took that forward, she almost flipped the state of Georgia. In fact, her work may lead to Georgia becoming a blue state. To be silent, oh, we don't want to discourage people from voting. What I saw in Georgia and I saw in other states where a Democratic Party like Wisconsin made an issue, they won with the issue. They won with the right. issue in Wisconsin. They almost won in Georgia, and they may win this time in Georgia by saying, they're stealing your vote because it's really valuable. Now get out there and steal it back. Take it back. And that has been more successful. Whether the Democratic Party is going to learn its lesson on this, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, I think they have. I mean, my sense of it, and I've had this conversation with Tom Perez on this program a couple of times, is that they've finally figured out that was... <laughs> they did it for 16, 18 years, arguably. But it was, a, and it was a stupid policy that we were right. That Randy Rhodes and me in the end, I think Sam Cedar was there. There was a bunch of us that we were right. And this should have been something that Democrats should have been stealing or, you know, yelling about all along, the vote stealing. And frankly, we'll see how it plays out, Greg. Greg Pallas, the brilliant investigative journalist, gregpallas.com, the website, his new book, How Trump Stole 2020. Be sure to check it out. And Greg underscore Pallas on Twitter. Greg, thanks for dropping by. You're the best, Tom. Thank you. Keep up the great work, Greg. Tom Harvin here with you. Weird goings on in the social media space, specifically with regard to, to Breitbart, but I think this is symptomatic of a larger issue. Judd Legum publishes the extraordinary daily newsletter, popular.info. Literally, that's the website too, popular.info, popular.info. Twitter handle is Judd, L-E-G-U-M, Judd Legum. Judd, welcome back to the program. Your, your piece, uh, was it this morning or yesterday morning about Facebook and Breitbart? I found absolutely fascinating. Can you tell us about this? piece about a Breitbart article that I noticed that claimed that Tom Tillis, the senator from North Carolina, had attended the White House event uh, where they announced uh, President Trump's new Supreme Court justice and was wearing a mask but did not but still got infected uh, with COVID. And, and the purpose of the article, as it goes on from there, was uh, to undermine the idea that masks are effective. So you know, even if this were all, all true, it was a pretty silly article. No one claims masks are 100 percent effective. It reduces your risk. It reduces the risk for others, even more importantly. Tillis could have gotten 
the coronavirus somewhere place else, but was a complete lie. Hillis had not been wearing a mask for a good portion of the event, including, and there were pictures taken of this, inside the White House, in close quarters with many people who we know now have coronavirus, like President Trump, without any masks. Basically, it was one, you know, pushing this really dangerous scientific information, and and two, was just misinformation overall. He wasn't wearing a mask. Right. So what does this have to do with Facebook? So... Breitbart, of course, gets a lot of their traffic from Facebook. They're actually the eighth most successful publisher on Facebook. They had more engagement in August than the New York Times. They rely heavily on Facebook. So, of course, this article was published on Facebook, and I, I noticed that it had gotten thousands of shares on Facebook just within 12, 10 or 12 hours. And so it was spreading pretty rapidly, and people were, were using it as, as an argument against masks, which is the way it was intended. So the reason why this is important is, one, Facebook has a written policy uh, that says it will remove coronavirus information that could pose an imminent threat to people's safety. Um, and so in the context of a deadly pandemic, spreading this kind of misinformation um, you know, could expose more people to the virus and and compromise their safety. Um, so I sent this to Facebook, and Facebook said that it didn't violate their policies, uh, and their rationale was that they never explicitly advocated uh, not to wear a mask. And so this is this is really a pattern with Facebook. You know, they announce a policy; it sounds pretty good. No. COVID misinformation that will put people at risk of harm. Uh, but then the enforcement is very, very weak. You know, the, the enforcement uh, is basically, it, it almost never gets enforced. And so that's how we end up where we are. Well, and we've seen the same thing over the last four years with literally thousands of Trump ads and and uh, you know foreign actors supporting Donald Trump in a whole variety of ways long before the election. Do you have any thoughts about a solution for this that doesn't destroy Facebook, but that does clean up this wild, wild quest? I think there's a number of things you could do. One is Facebook could invest more in their moderation to enforce their policies. I think the primary issue is that Facebook is convinced that its artificial intelligence will be able to sort out and identify posted violence policies, but it's not there yet. So they need to invest in more humans and not just humans that they're paying $10 an hour for in a warehouse, but people who are skilled and who could sort through this information. Wow. I don't know if we've ever had this conversation. If we have, feel free to stop me. But back in the, uh, in the late 70s and throughout the 80s, myself and a friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine, ran a bunch of forums for CompuServe. And back then, the law was that if somebody said something that was libelous or slanderous or a scam or whatever on one of our CompuServe forums, CompuServe could be held financially responsible for that, legally and financially responsible for that. And as a result, CompuServe paid good money to us, and we made you know, a good living at this for quite some time, certainly throughout the late 80s and throughout the early 90s moderating these forums. I was running over 30 forums, the IBM PC support forum, the desktop publishing support forum, the, uh, the uh, Macintosh forums, et cetera, et cetera. And then the Telecommunications Act got signed. That legal liability was eliminated. There was no liability to, face, uh, to uh, CompuServe for whatever got posted. Prior to that, they had to know who you were, and they figured that out by having your credit card. And we had to clear every message before it went live or not necessarily every message, but we would have you know, trusted posters and then new people had to clear a, a certain number of times. I mean, we figured out systems for this. And we had a staff of like 30 people of volunteers literally all over the planet working on this. And it worked well. I, I'm wondering, there have been people, including Donald Trump, who has suggested blowing up that provision in the Telecommunications Act of 96, I think it's called Section 230, or maybe it's 320, that undoing that would restore some civility and sanity to the internet. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert on the policy, but I certainly think that the incentives need to change. So whether it's just getting rid of that policy and applying 
you know, full liability to everything that's posted or whether there's some some middle ground that might have, might reflect the fact that, you know, it is a bigger Internet these days. Um, I think that right now all the incentives are for Facebook to spend as little money uh, and time as as possible on this. And so it's only now the only tool you have now are outside pressure and bad publicity and things like that to think the moving we saw today they finally did take down after allowing a bunch of trump misinformation about coronavirus and voting and everything else they finally did take down a post where he said that coronavirus was less deadly than the flu and i think that's part of the part partly because they've been getting they've been getting scrutiny but yes i think ultimately um, there does need to be changes in the law. Maybe that's about liability. Maybe that's just recognizing the fact that it's they're too big. You know, it's almost impossible to con- to control something that's that's so enormous. And then on top of Facebook, which is enormous in itself, they've got WhatsApp, they've got Instagram, they've got so many other things going on that it really might be impo- no matter how many resources you put put on it. Maybe it is impossible to control, and maybe we need to start thinking about breaking these huge um, tech companies that control so much of everyone's information into sort of more manageable bites and also create competition so that you could say, hey, I'm going to go to this social network that does a better job of respecting my privacy, has better moderation policies and things like that. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe it's time to even revive some of these old ones. Although, you know, there's a lot to be said for yeah. momentum. But yeah, yeah. I, I tell this story, actually, in my book on Monopoly and suggest that, you know, if Zuckerberg had to hire a whole bunch of people like Nigel and me to do this and pay us, you know, he might end up not being worth $74 billion. He might only be worth $50 billion. But you know, exactly. I think the world would be better for it. <laughs> so anyhow, sure. Judd Legum, his newsletter is popular.info. You can check it out. In fact, you should check it out. It's really, really worth, worth reading. Judd, thanks so much for the great work you're doing and for dropping by today. Good talk to you, Tom. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. The journalist Anita Kumar wrote a piece for Politico in which she says that it's been a full year 
that Trump and the Republicans have been planning to use the courts to steal the election, like what happened in the year 2000. She writes, dozens of lawyers from three major law firms have been hired. Thousands of volunteer attorneys and poll watchers across the country have been recruited. Republicans are preparing pre-written legal pleadings that can be hurried to the courthouse the day after the election as wrangling begins over close results and a crush of mail-in ballots. Attorneys from non-battleground states, including California, New York, and Illinois, are being dispatched to more competitive areas and trained on local election laws. In total, it means the Republican Party will have thousands of people on hand to shape every element of voting, both on Election Day and in the days thereafter. It's a massive undertaking, one the RNC calls its largest election year effort ever. And it's the one that could determine the winner of the pandemic-beset 2020 election. That's kind of the bad news. Here's the good news. Democrats have launched their own gargantuan effort, doubling their efforts since 2016. They've amassed a team to educate voters, respond to charges of voter suppression, and counter foreign interference and misinformation, according to the Biden campaign. That effort is being led by Dana Remus, Biden's general counsel, and Bob Bauer, a former White House counsel during the Obama administration who joined the campaign full-time this summer. Michael Gwynn, a spokesperson for Biden's campaign, told Politico, quote, the Biden campaign has assembled the biggest voter protection program in history. So, you know, what do they say? Good news and bad news? Bill Barr, the attorney general, was pointing out that there were these nine ballots that were in the trash outside of a polling place. And oh, my God. And by the way, seven of those ballots were marked for Donald Trump. Oh, my God. This has got to be it. Democrats are trying to steal the election, was the implication. And it turns out that what had happened was the Republicans in Pennsylvania had filed a lawsuit. If the envelope in which a ballot arrived was opened in a way that would allow the person who opened the ballot, opened the envelope to see the ballot, you know, without the security envelope inside, all that kind of stuff, then that ballot was automatically considered spoiled and had to be thrown away. Now, the Republicans wanted this to be the rule because that meant that more mail-in ballots would get thrown away because people don't always mail them back in the official envelopes. And that's what apparently happened here. In fact, they may have been overseas ballots from the military, and they were not mailed in the normal official envelopes, and therefore they got opened, and because they were opened, they had to be thrown away because that's what the Republican lawsuit, that was the ruling that the Republicans won in their lawsuit. It's mind-boggling. They did it themselves. And then they went on national television and complained, and they're still talking about it over on Fox News. It's just like, it's like insane. Vivian in Fort Worth, Texas. You're right that Trump's a grifter and a con man, but he's also a Klan, and they're leaving that out. A lot of people are leaving that out, but he is a Klan, grew up in the Klan, giving our money to the riches and taking food stamps from poor people and lunches from poor schools from kids. They're calling Moscow Mitch because he's got an aluminum company being built by the Russians. Y'all need to talk about it more because I'm only hearing this on one or two stations. Yeah, Moscow Mitch, absolutely. And he's taking money from the Russian oligarchs. And it's not just Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump is obviously a grifter and a con man and apparently a, a major international money launderer. And that is becoming more and more apparent. But it's also Mitch McConnell. It's also basically the entire Republican Party that is still supportive of Donald Trump. They're all grifters. This is basically the deal they've made with Donald Trump. We'll let you keep being a grifter. You let us keep being grifters. Let's go. Let's do the grift. Charlene in Mesa, Arizona. Hey, Charlene, you have some news about uh, Arizona voting? Two advocacy groups, voter advocacy groups, including the Latino group, uh, took the Secretary of State to court saying that the voter registration period, which you and Brad talked about yesterday, that ended yesterday, was too short. And the judge ruled that they have to extend it out to October 23rd at 5 p.m. And the Secretary of State said she is not going to try to get that appealed. She's going to go ahead and continue voter registration, as the judge uh, stated 
until October 23rd at 5 p.m. It was on the local news this morning, Channel 3, KT, KT, That's KV or something like that. They so now is this going to be the case? This morning. Is this going to be the case that they take to the Supreme Court or is... Is the, does this AG's certification of it or Secretary of State's certification of it mean that it's going to stop there? Or was there a third party, some it's one of these right wing, you know? It will, it will apparently stop with her saying that she will recognize the judge's order. Yeah. Well, that's that's great news. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Charlene. I, you Thanks know, for the heads up on that. Yep. So if you're in, it yesterday. Yeah. So if you're in Arizona, well, if you're in anywhere in the United States, IWillVote.com is the website that the Democratic Party put up. Uh, you don't have to give them any information about yourself. You simply, you know, you plug in your zip code or whatever and hit the button and it takes you right to the voter registration page for your state. So you're interacting with your state. So if you want to know how to get how to double check your voter registration or to register to vote online, this is how you do it. Go to IWillVote.com. Thank you. Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, what's up? Everything you said a little while ago was incredible, by the way. And I think one reason Trump is saying don't let the coronavirus stop your way of life is because he doesn't want to he doesn't want his donors from the New Jersey golf course that donated two hundred and fifty thousand ahead to put a stop on their credit cards or cancel their checks for the great gift of Perfect. being exposed to the virus or even sue him for endangering their lives. Trump's yeah. heartless and yeah. evil. Yeah, I, I, I am with you. Jessica, thank you. A spot on. Robert in Greenville, North Carolina. Hey, Robert, what's on your mind today? I feel like Joe Biden should not take the negative advertisements down against Trump. I agree. The Republicans are doing everything, everything they can 24-7 to steal our election. And it's ridiculous. The only thing I would allow, if he keeps knocking off his people with the virus and around the White House and everything, he might be forced to use Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife to go work the swing states for him. <laughs> I don't think that's going to work. You know, we've got to have yeah, some okay. sense of humor somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But doing, <laughs> in North Carolina, they're doing everything. We actually got an absentee ballot, and we uh, went and carried it ourselves. We didn't even put it back in the mailbox and got it, and we tracked it all the way until it was counted. But they're 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 right. playing all kinds of games. They're trying to change everything up and confuse people. And you know, it's it's they're going to steal this election right in front of everybody. <laughs> oh yeah, this thing in South Carolina where the Supreme Court said you've got to have a witness signature on your on your ballot uh, after everybody was told by the state that you don't need a witness sig signature. Um, is probably going to invalidate, you know, my prediction is hundreds of thousands of ballots. I hope I'm wrong. But I, it looks to me like the Supreme Court is trying to help steal the election for Lindsey Graham and Donald Trump in South Carolina. And, and, and this is not the only state that they've intervened in, in ways like this. Robert, um, you know, Louise and I want, once years ago visited uh, Billy Graham's uh, compound, his uh, couple hundred acre farm, and, uh, you know, he's got a big... Uh, uh, there's a theater there and a library and a museum and all kinds of stuff. My recollection is that was in North Carolina. Is that Billy Graham country? And if so, how is how is uh, how are folks viewing the the the, the remnants of the evangelical televi televangelist movement these days? Well, well, they're uh, it is Billy uh, Billy Graham country. Well, now it's Franklin Graham's son, who right. is 100 percent behind Donald Trump. Yeah. And all, all these religious fanatics that they're they're uh, they love them. It's 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 unbelievable uh, the amount of people. Uh, I just you 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 can't. There's nothing you can do to convince them that, that this isn't the greatest guy in the world. It's it's mm -hmm. mind-boggling now. It really is, Tom. Yeah, yeah, and and people like Franklin Graham are not. Uh, or the movement itself is not suffering from uh, from the the, dis the indiscretions of Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife and the pool boy. Nope. I think the response nothing, to that is probably nothing. to shrug and, and say, "Hey, people are complicated." Anymore. You notice that? We're not talking about his yeah. taxes now. God, it's and how much money going. he owes to which Russian oligarchs? <laughs> anyway, 
Good luck. We're we're still fighting here in North Carolina. To try to you know try to you know do the right thing, but it's uh, it's Keep very it up, uh, it's it weighs you out. Johnny in Galveston, Texas. Hey, Johnny, what's on your mind today? You mentioned uh, a recent report, productivity report, about the post office, I guess issued by internal post office folks. That's not surprising given everything that the Republicans do to sabotage everything about this country, which is really odd since states pretend to be loving, in love with America, and we liberals just hate America. Anyway, uh, here in, here in, in my town, Lamarck, uh, I use the post office. Uh, a lot since the Sears nearby closed down, and I refuse to drive 10, 15 miles in one direction just to uh, make my credit card payments because I got a MasterCard by Sears. So what I did was I started going to the local post office and buying my postal money orders there. Since I do not conventionally bank, I haven't banked for years, uh, decades actually. Uh, that's another story, but anyway, so I, I buy my postage and I buy my money orders and I make out the money order and fill it out, put it in the envelope with the uh, return receipt. And on the outside of the envelope, I'll usually write something like, "We love our con- our constitutionally protected nonprofit, unionized, loyal, dedicated <laughs> U.S. Postal Service." And then I write some other choice <laughs> words about Donald Trump and his buddy in charge of the Postal Service, and I put a red uh-huh. heart. Next to we love, I, I don't spell out love. I, I put a red heart there with an ink, sure. and I do that for all my mail now. Uh, hush! Sorry, about, sorry about that. She, she barks at everything. Okay, and why I'm bringing this up is because when I mail my uh, credit card bill, it's on a Wednesday. That thing shows up paid two days later. So I, on the Wednesday the third, <laughs> yeah. Friday the third, when Your I mail people that, like you. Your male people like you. So, and I, you know, I told the story. A month it shows I posted two days later. Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. And that's wonderful. I, I told the story of writing a note to my mail person saying, dear, dear mail carrier, thanks so much for being here on the front lines. We really appreciate you. And I got a nice note back from my mail carrier saying, you know, that means a lot. Um, here's the story. This is from CNN. And it was published at uh, 2.42 yesterday, Monday, October 5th, by Paul Murphy, uh, the the guy who wrote the piece for CNN. And it says, the uh, United States Postal Service documents show first-class mail's on-time delivery performance for the week of September 19th sank to 84.2%, a decline of 4.5% over two weeks. That means the nationwide on-time delivery score for first-class mail is nearing lows seen last in July and August when the agency experienced significant delays because of significant changes to postal operations. Of the 28 states that are sending ballots to voters, 43% of them are seeing the worst on-time delivery of first-class mail so far this year. Glad to hear that your post office has not been sabotaged, Johnny, but I think it's happening all over the place. Jay in Chicago. Hey, Jay, what's up? I'm an enumerator in Chicago for the census. And you know that the court order was extended to October 31st instead of the shutdown on September 30th. Well, what they're doing is they're not laying off people so they can't file for unemployment, but they're not giving us work. We get paid by the hour. So let's say they gave us 25 cases. You could put in a decent amount of hours of work trying to find these people that have not uh, filled out their census forms. So what they're basically saying is, or giving us, is no work, but still employed. Oh, geez. And Wilbur Ross, you know, the billionaire that Trump put in charge, he's the Commerce Secretary, put in charge of this thing. Uh, I, you know, I guess, you know, that the law defines him as being in charge of it. Um, if I'm recalling correctly, Jay, a week or two ago said that by October 7th or October 8th, they were going to have this whole thing wrapped up. The court said, no, you've got to keep it open till the end of the month. And apparently Wilbur Ross's office just came out and said, you know, the court can say whatever it wants. We're going to wrap it up on October 7th or 8th. Am, am I remembering yeah. that right? You are. We even received uh, a memo from them stating that it's going to continue all the way to the end of the month. But think about it. If you if they don't lay off, if they laid off people because they don't have enough work, that would mean that they would be more people fighting for unemployment. Now, oh, if a person quit, if a person, yes. quit, if a person he, he quit, wants his October numbers to look good. Right. And so if a person quit, they can't file for unemployment. See how that works? Right. So, you, right. so you're in a position of, okay, 
So now you're, you're a person that's depending on this money and you can't make a living. Right. And, and, and census, the census, uh, you know, the, every, every 10 years is such a large nationwide event that it actually does affect unemployment numbers. That's amazing, Jay. Thanks for pulling back the curtain and letting us see that, that uh, you know, ugly wizard in there. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Mark in Framingham, Massachusetts. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? I'm just a bit concerned that a lot of the mainstream media and mainstream politicians, due to movements like the Lincoln Project, are going to rehabilitate the pre-Trump Republican Party. Of course, I, I think Trump is an awful. Pre- uh, yeah, of course, I think Trump's an awful president. But it's not like the GOP was nice. They were still, you know, evolution denying, climate change denying. You know, like. Trump is able to pay less than $1,000 in his taxes because of the neoliberal policies of the GOP. So I just wanted to get your right. thoughts on that. I absolutely agree with you, Mark. And, and I've, I've said that several times on this program that beware of the Lincoln Project. People are all enthusiastic. They do incredibly good ads that, frankly, the Democratic Party should be doing. And they take no prisoners, which, frankly, the Democratic Party should be doing. I'm seeing these terrible, wimpy Joe Biden ads on TV that just make me cringe. You know, Biden should be reaching out to his base rather than trying to reach out to white guys who voted for Trump. But that said, I think what after the election, the Lincoln Project folks are going to use the credibility with Democratic voters that they got from doing these ads to start rolling out a series of ads talking about the national debt. And, you know, we've got to get the debt under control. And how do you get the debt under control? Well, you privatize Social Security and, and you hand Medicare over to United Healthcare and, uh, you know, et cetera. Even though the debt has traditionally increased under Republicans because they actually spend oh, money massively. on the military. Yeah. Massively. Yeah, and, you know, um, the, last, the last two presidents to have balanced budgets were Jimmy Carter and, and Bill Clinton. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, I was hearing the other day that austerity programs actually cause the government to have to spend more money because more people go out of work and they have That's to spend correct. money on unemployment benefits. Uh, but one thing that I was noticing is that, like, okay, so the current President Trump, he, he was born into a lot of money. He was expensively educated, but as far as we can tell, he knows nothing about politics. Uh, he cuts taxes for his rich cronies. All of that is also true to the last Republican president, George W. Bush, and the Republican president before yep. that was his dad. So it's a party that yep. favors, I mean, yeah, it's just a party that favors corruption. And I was wondering, do you think the Republican Party can ever become like, the pre-neoliberal Eisenhower type where they actually valued things like Social Security and actually understood that there's some need for social programs? Or do you think the Republican Party is just never going to return to that? I don't know, Mark, whether it's going to fix itself or whether it's going to be replaced. I mean, there needs to be a place in American society for conservatives to go other than the Nazis, basically. And by conservatives, I'm not talking about the racists among us. I'm talking more about the people, I was going to say William F. Buckley, but he was a flaming racist, too. I, 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 you know, the, the question, I guess, is to what, you know, what percentage of the whole former Republican base were only Republicans because of racism? And I'm increasingly thinking that number is probably 60 or 70 percent. Um, you know, uh, my dad's republicanism was let's just be cautious, let's move slowly, let's think things through, which, you know, is if you're talking about race is an excuse for not doing anything about race. So, you know, which yeah. takes you back to racism. So I don't know, Mark. I just don't know. Let's just work but, on making know, the Democratic Party a bit more progressive. There you go. I'm, that's my project, too. Mark, thank you for the call. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Daniel in Manchester, New Hampshire. Hey, Daniel, what's on your mind today? 
yes, sir. I'm calling in reference to an earlier caller who was worried that if he didn't take his absentee ballot on election day, it wouldn't get counted. Right. I'm a poll worker here, and I, I realize that not all states are the same. But the way it works here is essentially your absentee ballot, if mailed in early, is kept in a box until election day. Now, most states have laws that can't be opened until election day. And to expound on that a little bit further, in Manchester, like nobody touches that box until somebody from the clerk's office brings it to a polling location. And then that vote will be counted. So as long as you get your absentee ballot in, you know, I'd say a week before the election, it will be counted election day. The only, the right, only and issue we're four weeks out right now, more or less. Yeah, you got plenty of time. And if you're concerned about your ballot not getting there on election day, take it directly to the clerk's office and they'll take it. You know, if you don't have a drop box right. in your area, you can take it to your clerk's office and it is a received ballot. As a matter of fact, that's probably a safer bet. That way, if there's anything wrong with the envelope or if you have any questions, they can answer it there. Right, but right. although they won't be able to open the ballot. And, and so you need to make sure to that the... you fully filled in those little circles and you didn't put little X's and things and you didn't write anything in and you didn't put any stray marks, that you do it like it's your ACT and your admission to college depends on it. That's a fantastic point. I, had to, I only told two people that when I was working in the, the last primary election to where they just like drew a little line through the bubble. And mm-hmm. I know, again, in our polling location, there's a piece of paper in every single voting booth that says you have to completely fill in every bubble, make no stray marks, or the machine won't recognize it. And we had a thousand people come that day, and I only got two of them, or I only saw two of them. Hopefully, I didn't miss any. But yes, people, please follow all all the rules and regulations. They should be posted everywhere. But if you're worried about your vote being counted, and you are, are also worried about safety from the virus, take your ballot directly to your clerk of court. Yeah, I agree. And the first time that I voted by mail was when Louise and I first moved here to Oregon and we got a ballot in the mail and I had to mail it back. And the, the outside envelope on the back of it, it's got a place for you to sign. And I looked at that and I thought, do I really want my signature going through the mail like that? You know, that seems kind of personal. And you know, I looked it up and it's like, if I don't sign this, they're not going to count my vote. <laughs> That's the yes, biometric sir. proof that I am me. Yep. That is my yep. proof of identity. And signature is actually harder to forge than buying a phony ID. They also have the naked ballot. I don't know if you've heard about that, where they have privacy envelope inside the yeah. mail envelope. And if you don't have that, it's not counted. And I think that's what happened in that one Pennsylvania district. So, yeah, that varies from know. state to state. Here in Oregon, yeah. the uh, privacy sleeve, you know, it's kind of a little folder like you get from the bank when you get some cash. That little sleeve is optional. In fact, it says on it, optional privacy sleeve. But in some states, it's absolutely mandatory. And if you don't do it exactly right, your ballot will not get counted. So, And millions, tens of millions of ballots were not counted in the last election because people screwed up their mail-in ballots. And probably most of them never checked online to find out if their ballot got counted, and so they have no idea. So spot on. Daniel, thank you. You just did a great public service. I appreciate the call. Hillary in Bernie, Texas. Hey, Hillary. Here's what's going on in Bernie, Texas. Friday, uh, the uh, the Texas Attorney General, who's the guy who's leading the crusade in limiting voters' ability to vote every time we get a an expansion, he files something to limit it. Mm. Friday, seven of his top aides turned him in for fraud and bribery, want a federal investigation, and they quit. <laughs> wow. So, Yeah. So I don't know if it's related to voting, but it will affect voting because the guys who turned him in are really right wing guys. So I'm not sure, you know, they're people who would like restricted voting, but the governor and the lieutenant governor are all going, oh, we we don't know what it's about. We will reserve comment. But the one guy who has made a comment is Chip Roy, who is the rep now for uh, the 21st district, which is between San Antonio and Austin, my district. He's, and he's running again, and he is uh, the Tea Party uh, aficionado. I mean, he so he worked for uh, Cornyn, <laughs> and uh, mm. he worked for Ted Cruz. And basically, 
he has come out and said, oh, the attorney general should resign. But he so he was the second in command to the, Ken Paxton. Um, and they had their own little scandal that Chip Roy worked for him and quit to go work for Ted Cruz's campaign back in 2015. But Chip Roy kept kept stayed on the payroll. They fudged something. So Chip Roy kept his state health insurance because he had lymphoma. <laughs> Oh my. So Chip Roy's there going, oh, he should be fired, trying to, like, clear himself in a way. Like, just oh, yeah. himself from it. The bizarre, well, I was going to say bizarre Texas politics, but it's it's bizarre all over the country. <laughs> Hillary, thanks for the heads up on that. That's great. You know, I appreciate your reporting. Howard in Mapleton, Illinois. Hey, Howard, what's up? Uh, I would like to suggest that maybe the Electoral College, if only like, say, 10% of the voters voted the presidential election within that state, then they only get 10% of those Electoral College votes. If 50%. You're talking about something called proportional representation. Right. According to the electorals that elect in that state, if nobody goes to the polls and votes for the presidency, then they lose all their electoral votes. Who's run opposed many times, not opposed to having anybody, and he gets less than 20% of the votes that can be voted for him, so they should eliminate that House seat because there's no voter participation for that seat. I'm, what I'm saying yeah. is, without voter precipitation, they should lose their representation. I get it, Howard. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not such a big fan of losing your representation, but I do think that proportional representation is a good idea, and and frankly, it solves the problem. And thank you, Howard, for the call. It solves the problem that James Madison identified in Federalist Number Ten, which is power of faction, essentially, and how in a winner-take-all system, you can really only have two political parties. The good news is the, the founders and framers understood the problem. The bad news is they had no solution. It wasn't until 1860 or 1859 that John Stuart Mill wrote On Liberty, the, his famous book in which he laid out the idea of proportional representation, which is how every, you know, with the exception of Australia and New Zealand, how every other democracy in the world does it now. Uh, and Greece. I, I think the Greek parliament is not uh, proportional representation. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, people are figuring this out. Frank in Everett, Washington. Hey, Frank, what's on your mind today? I don't understand if you take this back to the beginning when Trump became the candidate, how that's even possible that he could have been the candidate. Why is there not more of a vetting process, you know, where we didn't know that he didn't pay his taxes, that he was with prostitutes, that he had deals with Russia? Like, why didn't people do that, know that, and stop that from the beginning? And, and I think, you know, we have to think towards the future. And we have to think, how are we going to stop this from happening again? You know, so maybe, you know, some plans. I do. Uh, Frank, the uh, Democrats in the House proposed uh, this was just this week. I think it was Monday or Tuesday of this week. They laid out and I don't recall if they uh, if they passed it as a bill or whether it's just proposed legislation or whether it's in committee. But they have laid out a series of steps to reduce the power of the executive branch and increase and strengthen the oversight functions of Congress over the executive branch. And I think long overdue. We've seen creeping power grabs in the executive branch since Nixon. And every Republican administration gets worse and every Democratic administration doesn't do anything about it. So, yeah, we need need some serious reforms. And frankly, I think that if we can extract this cancer from our democracy, from our republic, you know, Donald Trump, that there's a very good chance that that's exactly what will happen. Just like what happened through Nixon got extracted from the White House. Anyhow, John in Lamont, Illinois. Hey, John, what's up? Hi, this morning I read an interesting article in the Chicago Tribune entitled Appellate Court Halts Extension to Count Wisconsin Absentee Ballots. Originally, all the Wisconsin absentee ballots were to be counted by Election Day, but the Democratic Party and League of Women Voters sued, and then a district court judge said, okay, we'll give you six additional days to count the absentee ballots as long as they're postmarked by Election Day. Well, that went further, and just yesterday, a district judge overturned that and said all the ballots need to be counted by Election Day. The article then said this could go to the Seventh Circuit and the Supreme Court. 
And even though the Tribune didn't put two and two together, I'm thinking, who serves on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals in Chicago? Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah. Yeah. So what a test case this this could be. Will she recuse herself? Maybe she can't uh, hear this because it'll be in the middle of the Senate hearings. Or will she be a Trump toady and deny Wisconsin voters the right to vote? And when it gets to the Supreme Court, will she be there? <laughs> I'm guessing yes. she would recuse herself from this if no other reason that she's busy, you know, in Washington, D.C., shaking hands and, and making friends. But well, that's uh, assuming she would do the right thing like all the Republicans do the right thing. You're right. That's never a safe assumption. John, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the thanks for the heads up on that. I was unaware of that. Dan in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Hey, Dan, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. Hope you guys are doing well over there. I just wanted to let you guys know about something that happened in Pennsylvania. The website that is for all the voter registration and deadlines for absentee ballots and whatnot went down over the weekend Hmm. throughout Pennsylvania. They said that it wasn't malicious. It's back up. They got it up the next morning, and I guess it was like a data processing error at a outside contractor, but it just mm. reeks, man. So, like, you know, it's starting. They have that uh, voter panel that they just passed through Congress up here in Pennsylvania that will invalidate the election, which is their whole purpose, and what you're saying is coming true. Well, they're doing absolutely everything they can to cheat. It's happening all over the country. You know, we just have to, the the old saying that we used before was if they're going to steal five to seven million votes, which it looks like the amount of voter disenfranchisement that we've had basically since 2000 nationwide, state after state. Um, this time, we're, you know, they're going to try and steal 12 or 15,000 votes or million votes, excuse me. So, you know, we've just got to turn out 20 million more people, which is maybe a, what, a 15% increase in the electorate. And, you know, I think people are freaked out and upset, informed enough that there's a very good chance that that'll happen. And if you go to IWillVote.com, you can find out if you're registered to vote. And if you click on the, on the button, it'll take you right to whatever state you're in. You just plug in your zip code and boom, off you go. Um, or plug in your state. So, you know, forewarned is forearmed and informed and all that kind of stuff. Dan, thanks for the heads up on that. I'm glad that Pennsylvania got it back together, though. Mike in Port Ludlow, Washington. Hey, Mike, what's up? Yeah, hi, Tom. A little bit uh, off the, the topic you've been talking about. I'm going to talk about Bill Barr. And, you know, most professional groups uh, kind of police their, their group to uh, to maintain their integrity. And uh, I would like to know if he can be disbarred. And if he can be disbarred, can he still be attorney general? He can still be attorney general if he's disbarred. The job does not require him to be an attorney, period. There are generally for cabinet level positions, there are not threshold qualifications. You know, I haven't read the statute, but I bet almost anything that, that, that there's no specific thing for attorney general, number one. Number two, you know, Bill Clinton was disbarred uh, when he was impeached because he had lied under oath. In fact, I'm quite sure John Mitchell was disbarred even before he went to jail. There were a number of Nixon officials who were, you know, John Dean was disbarred, among others. So I think that's possible, Mike. What I think is interesting is that Trump's entourage, his entire family, his cabinet, they've all been following him around with little puppies during the last week. Bill Barr has been noticeably absent. And Bill Barr, of course, is old and obese. And those are risk factors for this. So, you know, maybe he's just keeping his head down. I don't or, or maybe, you know, he's just, you know, so busy getting his secret police ready for the election that God only knows. God only knows, Mike. Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, Kenyatta, what's on your mind today? I was just fascinated by something this morning, and I don't know if you're aware of it, but the uh, latest right-wing wacko theory that is actually being propagated by one Rush Limbaugh is that Donald Trump was purposefully, it was a biological attack by the left-wing media, the drive-by media. He was purposely infected? Yes, that they may have gotten on Air Force One where they don't have the controls they have at the folks that come to the White House, because, of course, those folks are constantly tested for COVID, that it was probably one of the rogue media personnel that uh, were their left One of those those, uh, fake news reporters... Well, you know, number one, you can't get on Air Force One without being tested, which kind of blows that up. But number two, Kenyatta, it doesn't that mean that Limbaugh is admitting that this is a dangerous virus? If he, you know, I mean, his position has been it's just the common cold. 
I'm, I'm with you. It's like now listen. It's if nothing. It's nothing to worry about, folks. It's just the common cold. Oh my God! Somebody tried to give it to Trump. It's like listen. I you know what? I haven't laughed this heartily in a long time. It really isn't funny, and I'll tell you why. It's because yeah. the the cult that is the Trump base will eat this stuff up hook, line, and sinker. And I can see it gaining traction in kind of an underground kind of a of a way. If it weren't so tragic, it would be incredibly funny. Uh, but yeah. Tom, this is a you know I we spoke maybe six months ago, and I said something to you. I said, Tom, something wicked this way comes. And you asked mm-hmm. me, what did I mean? You now see. We're not. Yeah, I think you're right. We're, I just don't know how much more of this the American people, in terms of a psychological effect on the society as a whole, Tom, can take. I just don't know. If we had, for instance, let's say there was a nationwide or partially nationwide blackout right now for several days, I just don't think the country can take any more. And I really fear that after this election, the fabric of uh, the country, which is tattered as it is, well, uh, c- completely disintegrate. Mm. Anyways, that's I wanted to share that with you. Well, that's another. Th- on. Yeah, well, that's that's another thing we have to look out for, Kenyatta. I mean, you know, there have been a couple of blackouts recently that are pretty shocking: internet blackouts and city blackouts and stuff like that. That are like, how did that happen? And I've never seen a really good explanation for any of them. And whether it's China or Russia or Saudi Arabia or Iran or North Korea poking at our systems, thinking, "Ha ha, we can wreak some havoc." or whether it might be some rogue or even official Republican operatives saying, you know, on election day, we could really cause some chaos. And that would throw the election into doubt so the ballots don't get certified, so it gets thrown to the House where Donald Trump is guaranteed to win. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's just all crazy stuff. and And by that, I don't mean I'm dismissing any of it. It's a symptom, as Kenyatta was just talking about. Bizarre times that we're living through. Zach in Wayne, Pennsylvania. Hey, Zach, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Well, I mean, just to speak to how the election's going here in Pennsylvania, I'm the field director for a couple of state rep campaigns, and we're just scared out of our minds that this election is, is going to be fraudulent. I mean, we're afraid that the Republicans are going to allow their goons to come here with long guns and try to be poll watchers. There's, there's a lot going on in PA. Um, yeah, let's my, stop my using that NRA right. phrase, by the way. The NRA back some years ago said, stop calling assault weapons assault weapons. Call them long guns. It sounds much better. They're not long guns. They're assault weapons. Back you're, to you, Zach. absolutely correct about that. My main question, young guy working in politics, I'm confused right now. I don't know what I should be doing, what we as Americans should be doing to get this guy out of office, because I don't think he's going to leave after this election. He's going to try to steal the election. And he's going to pull something. You know, I know guys like Jason Stanley are saying and, and, you know, refuse fascism now are saying, like, we need to get in the streets. We need to start marching now. But how do we even organize something like that? I believe that if Trump steals the election and that theft is obvious, it was not more obvious than in 2016, let's say, or than George W. Bush's theft of the election in 2000 and 2004. If it's more obvious than that. I don't think that we need to worry about organizing anything. It's going to happen spontaneously. I mean, obviously, there'll be groups that'll jump, that will appear probably like Indivisible and Move On and groups like that, that, the Black Lives Matter movement, that will be uh, helping to funnel and feed and all that kind of stuff. But that's going to happen, Zach. It always does. I think that America is still more resilient than we're giving it credit for. And consider like a worst case scenario. Trump gets reelected. It looks like it's legitimate. Whether it's because, you know, uh, the, Kim hacked our voting machines or God only knows yeah. what. But let's let's just say Trump gets reelected and Amy Coney Bryant goes on the Supreme Court. And by the end of January, a couple of things have happened. Abortion is now no longer legal across the United States. So individual states can outlaw abortion, number one. Number two, the United States has slid into the worst depression we've had since the last Republican Great Depression of 1929. And perhaps even worse than that. And number three, you've got crazed right-wing militias running around the country. At that point, we are 1933 Germany, right? Or right. I've been saying we're in 1933 Germany. Germany for a year. 
Yeah, I don't think we're quite there yet, but that would put us there. So then the question is, what happens? I mean, should we be freaked out and pulling our hair out over that possibility? I'm of the opinion that even that worst case scenario will be part of the process of awakening Americans. Every crisis this country has gone through. When we got on the back end of it, whether it was the Great Depression of World War II, whether it was the Civil War, whether it was the Great Depression of 1700 and the American Revolution, every single one of these crises, when we get on the back end of them and we get back to being normal again, and yeah, it might take a few years, but but when we get back to being normal again, we don't just get back to being normal, or for that matter, the crisis of John Kennedy being assassinated. We don't just get back to normal. We move progressive. We become, we come together as a nation. It strengthens our notion that, yes, I am my brother and sister's keeper. I am here with other people, for other people. Good people step up. People get inspired to join politics. There's a huge, an explosion of young people who went into politics in the early 60s and mid 60s because of John Kennedy. And they became the politicians of the 80s and 90s and, and early 2000s. You know, some of them I'm guessing are probably still in Congress, mostly Democrats, but nonetheless, it was a very inspirational thing and you know, until he was shot and then it was, oh, damn it, I'm gonna do it in his memory. So I'm not convinced, I'm not even close to being convinced that this is the end, you know, that, you know, like some Jim Morrison song, you know, that it's all (laughs) gone to hell and it's all going to hell. You know, I do believe we're facing some very difficult times and I do know that we've got a a serious domestic terrorism problem in the United States that this administration is ignoring, downplaying. But all that said, I think that the 240 years of at least talking about democracy, the idealism, holding the ideals of democracy, and every decade during that 240 years, moving closer and closer and closer toward an egalitarian country. You know, until the last 40 years when we've been backsliding considerably and rapidly, frankly, I think because the Republican Party got taken over by a small handful of cranky right-wing libertarian billionaires, I think their time is coming to an end. I really do. Maybe I'm wrong, but I really do. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 